We are in lesson four of the book of Romans, this amazing letter in which Paul is not just declaring Yeshua and his salvation to the Romans, but he's actually teaching what it means to walk in that salvation, what it entails to be a part of Yeshua's body, what our responsibilities are as representatives of Yeshua. And we left off in chapter 1 and verse 28, and so I want to go back to chapter 1 and I want to read the ending for continuity and uh, as he defines those who are without God. And it says this, Furthermore, they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, hard-hearted, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which committed such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Wow, so he really paints a rather dim view, picture for us of the godless of the world, those without God. And he says of the Gentiles or those without God that they're unrighteousness. They're unrighteous. And the Greek means full of injustice. And if we take it back to the Hebrew, it would be the opposite of zedekah, meaning they're uncharitable, unmerciful. He says they're fornicators, or we could say sexual immoral adulterers and the like. He says they're full of wickedness. And the Greek there means evil purpose and evil desires. Full of envy. This is truly terrible. It's to have, it's the desire to have what belongs to another. Envy is what the adversary used against Adam. It's the root of wanting to take the place of God. And as we noted last week, that's a real problem here in Rome because a lot of people thought of themselves as God. He says murder, and really that really doesn't need further explanation except that Paul is saying that they'll leave no stone unturned to get what they envy. Even murder. And then in the same breath he says debate and deceit. Debate in the Greek means strife and deceit means untruthfulness, trickery. In other words, they'll stop at nothing to obtain what they desire, even causing strife. Destroying relationships. And they do it, he says, by being whisperers and backbiters. And in the Greek, these words mean gossip and slanderers. Gossips are those who are talebearers, Those who commit Lashon Hara, which means evil speech. Slanderers are worse. They distribute lies. All in order to destroy another char- another's character with their mouths. Usually out of envy. You know, the rabbis equated evil speech with the sin of murder because you actually murder someone's good name with your tongue. And he says they're despiteful, proud boasters. The Greek for despiteful means insulter. And they do these things because they're proud. They consider themselves to be better than others. They're boasters. They're not afraid to tell that they think they're better than others either. He says they're inventors of evil things, creators of evil things. They take the God-given gift of creativity and twist it for evil. You know, when God created the earth after each day, he said, and it was good. 
while men take the gift of creativity and use it to make what is not good. They're inventors of doing evil. And finally, he says, they're disobedient to parents, covenant breakers, hard-hearted, implacable, and unmerciful. In other words, they're rebellious. They have no respect for their parents. They do not honor the covenants they make. Again, all because they're hard-hearted, implacable. There's no making a truce with them. They're unmerciful. They're unteachable. And that's what I call a very dim view of mankind. And a couple of things I want you to see here is that he started this rather dim assessment with the words, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. He gave them over to these things, which means they already had them. They were in their hearts. And by saying he gave them over, it means God ceased to try and turn them back to him. He gave them over to their free will. In other words, these are things we must all join in with God to fight against in our own lives because we're all capable of these things. The other thing I want you to see is just how many of these things have to do with the tongue. Listen to what James says about the tongue. He says, The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise the Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers, it should not be so. Can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt spring forth from fresh water. You know, I tell you what, I found something that the hardest message for the congregation, because I give it often, the hardest message that I give is when I speak of evil speech, which is any speech, really, it's any speech about someone else that is meant to destroy their character. And the reason it's so hard is because we all do it to some degree. I hear myself do it, and I've never heard anyone that that I met that didn't do it. I've met some, you know, that are close. But, you know, here's the deal. I say my message is on evil speech because everyone starts to squirm in their seats when I give it. Their heads are down and they're squirming in their seats because it's the last thing in your life that you'll ever get control of. It's your tongue. It's a world of evil, can't be tamed. Everyone is guilty of it, which brings us to the point of this discourse of the Gentiles. Imagine this. I want you to imagine something. I want you to know that this letter, when they received it, they didn't take it down and Xerox it and pass out copies to everybody in the congregation. They're not reading this at home in the privacy of their own homes. No, it's being read aloud to the congregation in in Rome. And right about now, the whole Gentile community in the congregation of Rome is squirming in their chairs. Heads low. Just like when I speak about evil speech. Paul wants to get their attention. He wants to bring them to a place where they're dwelling on what God has saved them out of. A place of remembering how far they had fallen from what the Creator intended them to be. A place of realizing how far... They have yet to go to be like Yeshua. 
a place of seeing that they deserve the wrath that was spoken of above, but God saved them. Later in the letter, after making uh, both Jew and Gentile squirm in their seats, realizing how far they had fallen in their former lives, he says this in chapter 5. You see, just at the right time, when they were still powerless, Messiah died for the ungodly. Very rarely anyone will die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. You see, he wants to keep this in mind lest they become boastful. And that's why he says in the next, in Romans 2, 1, he says, You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else for whatever point you judge another, you're condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. That's why giving that message on evil speech is so hard for me. You have no excuse because you know to do well. You see, the bad news is that as we speak of those who have fallen into this depravity or as we speak and we judge someone else, we also judge ourselves. We judge ourselves because each of us have been guilty of these things in our former lives. Not to mention, like I said above, we're more than likely guilty of misuse of the tongue still. And I might add, it's with that same tongue that we judge people. Why would he say this to believers in Rome? To these new Gentiles coming to faith in Messiah. Well, I can tell you that new believers and those who have just found Torah can be some of the most judgmental people on earth. They often have the attitude that they found the truth, so how come you can't find it? And then they proceed to bash those who don't do this or that or have continued to violate Torah in some area. How quick we are to forget that God, that it took God years to get a hold of us, and yet we feel this person who's been on the road for a matter of months should understand right now. What's the matter with you? Don't do it. Show others the same mercy that God showed you, the same patience that he showed you. I mean, I believe with all my heart that the Torah observance we teach at KSS is the true path for we believers. A Torah observance that is new because the followers are new. We're the new of the new covenant because we hear the voice of Yeshua within us. And I have to tell you that some of the things that we chase people out the door for make me weep sometimes because they always come to me and tell me why they're leaving it's because somebody said this or somebody said that. or Paul is concerned when he's talking here. He's concerned with the majors. He's speaking of world damaging sin. And you know, he doesn't mention anything like proper Sabbath observance, food or dress and the like. And not that they're not important, but those are the kind of things that take time for the spirit of God to work in people's lives. So the point is, be merciful and not unrighteous like the rest of the world. Be patient with others, not like the rest of the world. Because with our being part of the new covenant, in other words, the new creation following God's Torah, we must display the attributes. We are without excuse. 
were without excuse because while the rest of the world should have known that God created all things, we as part of the new covenant, we should know God personally. Not of him, but we should know him from the least to the greatest of us. Listen, if we're without excuse for condemning these horrendous acts up above that he spoke of, how much worse when we condemn the smaller things that the Spirit of God is still working on these other people over? And then in our harshness, we chase them out the door with our words. Do you think we'll not be judged more stringently for such things? For not giving people at least as much time as God gave us? Listen, for me, that's a lot of time. It means I can start getting upset with you after about 39 years. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Yes, there are things we can't tolerate, but there are other things that are none of our business. You know, we don't have to browbeat on the Sabbath because if someone's here long enough... Someone will, from the Bema, explain the beauty of the Sabbath and they'll want to be a part of that. They'll desire to share in that beauty. You don't have to rebuke them for their diet because sooner or later, someone from the Bema will explain the benefits of eating clean and not what's detestable to God. And the Spirit of God will work in the new people as He did with you and me and they will come to a place where they desire to eat what's pleasing to God and not what's detestable. Amen? You know, here's what Paul is saying. Give the Prince of Peace a chance to work before you murder someone with your mouth. As I read this, you know, I I couldn't help but wonder just how complete a transformation had happened in the lives of these Romans. I also couldn't help but wonder how much of rabbinic Judaism had affected the Romans. And I say that because we can glean from Galatians and Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 15 and other places that the Pharisees were also quick to judge and that they judged quite harshly because they considered themselves to be holy and set apart. I wonder about it because Paul is going to single out the Jewish believers in a moment. In verse 17, it reads this way. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, then you who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Remember last week I spoke of two worldviews. Paul is dealing right now with this Gentile worldview. But make no mistake, he's getting to the Jew next. Paul is saying that there is a judgment of God for any self-righteous judgment on our parts. And he accuses the Romans of being hypocritical, which is the same thing that Yeshua accuses the Pharisees of. That's why I wonder how much of the Pharisees are at work in all of this. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Mita connected mita. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. 
And the point here is we need to judge sin harshly. Judgment is good, provided it's applied to yourself. But if we use our knowledge to judge others, then we bring judgment on ourselves. Because if we're still not guilty, we're sure for once we're guilty. Right? Verse 2, let's read it again. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. When you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things. Do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? See, God's kindness and patience with us should lead us to repentance and showing the same kindness and patience to others. When we hear the truth of the word of God, when we come face to face with what Yeshua did for us, it should elicit the response, Oh my God, what must I do? Yeshua is our sin offering. And the rabbis taught, when you offered a sin offering, you in effect stood there and watched the death of this animal. It was exactly what you deserved. You stood and watched your own death. Watching that animal die and realizing it was because of what you did and that this spotless animal had to die because of what you deserved, they said that the realization of that should make you go and sin no more. In other words, understanding the awful consequence of sin should lead you to the second part, repentance, which is a change in behavior. It's not an attitude. It's not something of the mind. It's a distinct change in behavior, a changing of direction. When you realize that Yeshua suffered for you, that is what should happen to you. It should cause you to sin no more. Think about it. I have yet to see someone who's at the place of finding Yeshua and realizing they need his offering and that he died in their place. I've yet to see one of those people all of a sudden get up and start a tirade on the sinners of the world. And how they need to come to repentance. Right? Of course not. Because why? They're too busy focusing on what they've done and crying out to God in their tears of repentance saying, Well, Lord, what must I do? Well, Paul is saying that we should have that attitude for now on. Not just at the point of salvation, but forever. We should be looking back. It did that to the Romans. Remember how this whole letter started out. It says, in verse 8 it said of chapter 1, it says, First I thank my God, through Yeshua, the Messiah, for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. They have experienced this realization and said, what must I do? And they're out doing it. They're doing acts of faith and trust in God. In other words, good deeds. Well, basically, that is the attitude we should have from the point of salvation thereafter and always. But what happens is, Pride sneaks back in. We get prideful in the second chance God has given us and turn what he has done for us and the mercy he's had upon us into self, a, a self-righteous platform from which we judge others. And that's what Paul is addressing here. Verse 4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness should lead you toward repentance? Here he says, When we judge others, 
for the things that we do, still do, or things that we've done, we're showing contempt for the kindness God has shown us. And in verse 5 he says, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will give to each person according to what he has done. Because of the stubbornness. And you know the Greek word there is very interesting. It's the Greek word sclerotes. I put the definition up here for you. It says stubbornness, hardness. And you should recognize this word because it's where we get the word sclerosis is in multiple sclerosis, which is a hardening, a scarring of nerve tissue. It means hardening, hardness or scarring. So he's saying because of the scars, the world has left, the hardening of your heart is caused by the effects of this world. Your heart has become unrepentant, unchangeable. God is unable to reach the tenderness of your heart. Remember, being hard-hearted was one of the things he gave them over to. And it's caused by pride. In other words, because of your calloused heart, God can't get through to you anymore. Because of your pride, you do what God alone can do. You judge someone. You see, you can be so hard-hearted. You can get so hard-hearted. You can get so calloused in an area that you can no longer turn. God can't get through the callous anymore. I've had people come into the congregation. These people were so judgmental. They walked around and judged people for everything. They judged this. They judged that. They complained about this. They complained about that. They actually damaged the congregation. You know, and I went to them and I warned them. I said, you know, if you continue, I'm going to have to get you out of here. You're going to have to leave. And they would say, oh, we don't want to leave. I want, I'll quit. Well, after the third or fourth time, I asked them to leave. Because their hearts were so hard, they could no longer help themselves. They were not teachable any longer. Well, that's God can get, you can get that place with God that he can't get through the callous anymore. When you do that, you're storing up wrath for yourself. The same wrath we spoke of last week because Yeshua, as Yeshua said, at the point you judge another, you will be judged. In other words, in Hebrew, mita keneged mita. With the portion you judge others, you're going to be judged. You're committing one of the sins spoken of above. It was pride. Your pride has made you unmerciful without compassion or patience. And you're storing up wrath as people store up grain. I mean, have you ever seen people store up rotten apples? No, they store up good things, right? Good grain, good apples, good oranges. Well, what he says here, you're storing up wrath. As people store up grain. People store up things that are good, not what is bad. And what Paul is saying, that you're so deceived that we think by judging others, we're storing up good things, when in fact, we're storing up wrath. You're storing up wrath because... You will not be judged by what church you belong to, whether you belong to the Catholic Church or the Messianic. He says God will give to each person according to what he's done. God's going to reward on the basis of what each person has done in his life. He'll, he'll look at your life to determine, did your good works give glory to God? Did your life reflect the kindness of God, the patience of God, the mercy of God? Or will it reflect some of the things we spoke of above in chapter 1? And he's going to judge you on that. Well, right away, I know some people are saying, well, Stan, you're saying we need good works to be saved in direct opposition to what the good news is. 
The good news you spoke of in the first week in chapter 1. But really, think about it. Does this really stand in opposition to the good news? Does it stand in opposition to if you believe in Yeshua, you'll be saved? Does it? Not at all. Because the good news in believing in Yeshua assumes that you have experienced the love and the mercy of God and you will show the same thing in your life as you emulate your new master. The good news assumes that if you know Yeshua, you'll become like him in your obedience to God. And that's what John alludes to in 1 John chapter 3, in verse 3. It says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. In him is no sin. No one who believes in him keeps on sinning. And no one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous. Just as he is righteous. Knowing Yeshua is not a mental notation. It's not, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Pass me the beer. It's a life change. You cease from striving in this age, but now you strive to become like him who's not part of this age. You see, what he's trying to tell the Romans is you alone are going to stand before the throne of God one day. And so he says, to those who persist in doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth, who follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And so what Paul is saying, if you persist in doing good deeds, works of righteousness, seeking glory for God and honor for God and immortality with God, he'll give you eternal life. And that's in perfect agreement with the good news because as we noted, as we grow in the Lord, it is from faith to faith. James, Yeshua's brother, in, in, in chapter 2 of his letter, asks this rhetorical question. Listen to what he says in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? And the answer is, obviously, no. Faith in Yeshua assumes a change in life and behavior. And as I said last week, the new in the new covenant is you. Not the terms. The terms remain the same. The new is you. You're the new thing. You are the new in the new covenant. And the new is the new relationship you have with God. That's the new of the new covenant. Everyone will know me from the least to the greatest. Listen to what he says next in verse 2 and chapter 18. But some will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And so we learn that for those who say they know Yeshua, but do not turn in repentance back to God and continue in the ways of the world, there's wrath awaiting them. They're actually storing it up. And Paul is telling us at the point we judge others, we're storing up wrath for ourselves. Verse 9 says, There will be trouble and distress for every human being, 
who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. God does not show favoritism. Notice the priority again. The priority, the good news was for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. The wrath is for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. Because God is an eminently fair judge and he shows no favoritism. As we close here, I want you to see something else here. And keep this in focus as we go on. And that's Paul's worldview. And in Paul's worldview, there's no group that you can belong to that makes you an in-kingdom person, if I can take the liberty of putting it that way. He does not ever say you must become part of the Jewish people to be saved from the wrath of God, as did the Pharisees. Never once does he say you must become part of the Catholic Church to be saved, or the church even of that day, as does the Catholic Church. You have to be part of the church. Really, all churches insinuate that, don't they? They all insinuate that. One of the things that they say distinguishes a cult is the attitude that our church has the truth and no one else and you must be a part of our church. And that's whether it's a physical church or in our day, online preacher. They say the same thing. But the fact is, all churches really to some degree are preaching that same thing that they call a cult. We have the truth and you don't. We're in and you're not. You must join us to be in. And the fact is, is that Paul tells us that that isn't so. That it's not what we belong to that will determine how we're going to be judged, but we're going to be judged by our individual good works in this life. And yes, Messiah saved us. He paid the price. It's a free gift. But even with that, we're going to be judged by how we conform to the character of Messiah. Very simply put, we'll be judged by what we did with this wonderful free gift. You see, he bases your righteousness on individual acts, not your belonging to this group or that. He judges by where you are in your walk through this age. Are you displaying the attributes of God's righteous character or are you displaying some of the attributes above? How are you and how are we as a community? That's the question we should be asking ourselves. How are we doing and what must I do, Lord?